Thank you for tuning in with us today on the Juba City Assembly of God podcast. Hope this inspires you. Hope it builds your faith. Hope it helps you see God in your life. Enjoy the message. Remember, every single week there's a new message from Tuba City Assembly of God. Also, if you want to reach out to us, feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook and our Instagram. Have a good day. Turn with me to the book of Proverbs chapter 29. Proverbs 29. When you're there, say, I'm there. If you're not, say, wait up. Okay. We're going to be speaking for just a little bit on the subject, ready, get set, and go. How many of you guys ran track in high school? Raise your hand. Raise it high. I want to see who ran track. Keep it up. I want to see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And almost all of us you would never know. <laughs> How many of you guys ran long distance? How many of you ran uh, middle distance? How many of you guys ran like the 100, the 200? Wow. If you ever were running um, and you ran, that was this thing you heard. You got in the starter block. And when you got set, you had to be in your lane and you heard the referee or the umpire would get you or the, the man would be running right on the corner and he had a starter's gun. And he would say, on your marks, get set, and you took off. God has a plan for you and me. He desires that, that we also would run. In Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and has been given to me Therefore, go. In Mark chapter 16, he'll say the same thing. There'll be a little bit more added to it, but he'll say, go. Everybody, I want you to say, go with me. Now, go, no matter what language it's in, I think I looked, up, I looked it up in the Greek, and it means go. <laughs> it just means go. Where, we might ask, where am I supposed to go? You know, I, I, I hear a lot, of, a lot of different people over the years, you know, wondering, you know, what is my purpose? What am I supposed to be doing? Am I doing the right thing? Am I where God wants me to be? Am I on the right path? What is the purpose of my life? This last week we spent about a good portion of a whole day wrestling with that idea, trying to hammer that out so that we could share that with you as a church. Because I believe that as a body, we have a commission. We have a destination, a purpose. So that that purpose is really behind everything that we do. We also have a purpose as believers. That each one of us who have given our lives to Jesus have a purpose. Your life 
has a purpose. And it isn't just to make a, make a check or, or make bank or do whatever you want to say. Um, it is more than just that. It's more than just eating. It's more than just recreation. It's more than just working. We have a purpose. In, in Proverbs chapter 29, in verse 18, some of your translations will say it this way, without a vision, people perish. So being able to see is really important. Knowing where you're going, it is critical. Now, in some translations, it will actually expounds upon this, and it will say where people do not accept or where there's no divine revelation, people will cast off restraint. In other words, if I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing, then I'm probably going to stop doing it at some point because it has no meaning. I don't understand why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I'm beginning to realize more and more that I think a lot of us may be in that place, just kind of in a rut. I'm doing what I'm doing, but I'm not sure why. Meaning has been lost, and we forget why we're doing what we're doing, why we're getting up in the morning and praying. How come this is this way? And, and after a while, we can kind of just fall into this kind of just a, a rut. And I heard it said before, I think a guy named... Uh, uh, Charles Swindoll said a rut is nothing more than a grave with the ends kicked out. I, I thought, wow, that's pretty interesting. How many of you guys have been in a rut in your life? Be honest. If, and it feels like that you're getting up and it just seems like it's the same every single day. But God wants you and I to see Matter of fact, I believe in the book of Revelation chapter 3, the issue with the Laodicean church, the primary issue is that they couldn't see anymore. They couldn't see. And because they couldn't see very well, they fell into what happens with a lot of believers. They began to live to make money, and then after a while, they, they felt like they were doing okay. They couldn't really see anymore, and so God's answer to them, Jesus would say, I counsel you to come to me that I can give you eye salve so that you can really see. Because they couldn't see. You know, I think a lot, a lot of times there, uh, as believers, we can fall into this point where we just, just don't see very well anymore. And I remember when I was in Bible school, I, I hit that spot. I think it was my senior year, and it was getting close to, the, close to the end. And I was just tired of school. I was just tired of it. I was tired of driving all the way across Phoenix. And we lived in Salt River at the time, and I was working as a youth pastor also while I was doing school. And it just was a long day. And those days just got just more and more and more tired. Just kind of like some of you, as you're listening to this message, you're getting more and more tired. <laughs> So I'm going to move real quick. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus will say a few things. And I want to share with you what the Lord shared with us because one of the things that I felt more and more was that the reason for Tuba City Assembly of God, sometimes I think we forget. And so if we're not told it over and over and over again, we can just kind of forget it. And I want us to remember it. So let's look really quickly at what this says. 
In Matthew chapter 28, in verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, so now he's qualifying what he's going to ask us to do because he's been given this authority from heaven that extends to earth. And he says, therefore, to you and me, everybody say, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach, them, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I want to give you what is our vision for this church. And I want you to write it down because we worked really hard on this. And we asked the Lord to speak to our hearts and show us, and we, we hammered out every single word about this vision. Tuba City Assembly exists to develop holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, devoted worshipers of Jesus Christ. That is the purpose of this church. It is the purpose of everything that we do, and I'm going to help you understand that now. So Tuba City Assembly exists to develop. That's an interesting word, develop. It's like a, word, it's like a work word. I get the idea of somebody building something. That we are to develop holy. That means people who are given over completely, devoted. That's, that's critical. That's a powerful word, Devoted. Not somebody that's lukewarm or half-hearted about it, but people who are devoted to something. Who are they devoted? They're devoted to Christ. They're wholly devoted to God. And that's what we're all supposed to be, that God begins to help us as we, as we journey with it. It's our, it's our task, each one of us, to develop, to grow, and to reach out to other people to help them to become people who are wholly devoted to God. Amen? That devotion expressed itself in the air of worshiping. And so let me just break this down a little bit. You know, I was talking to the guys and I was asking them, you know, when does, when, when, when does discipleship happen? And I used to be the discipleship pastor at a church and, and it, just got into the, it just got into my DNA. It's just, it's just everything. It's just, just everything in my heart. And this whole idea of developing and, and discipling people discipleship. So I asked him, I said, when, when does discipleship happen? And, 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 you know, I've talked to believers everywhere. And there are those who believe that discipleship happens after people give their heart to Jesus Christ. That when they say, get it, they, get, they say a sinner's prayer, and then you get them in a class, and you, and you get them involved, and you give them something to do, and you kind of point them in the right direction. But that's not really what the word means. That's really not what the text is teaching. I helped him explain it. I said, you know, when Jesus, or when John the Baptist was baptizing, and you remember John the Baptist was given a commission by God to preach a message of repentance, and it was to prepare people for the coming of the Messiah, Mashiach. And so as he would preach the word of God, that people listened to what he had to say, and he called them to be baptized in water. And so I asked him, I said, when did those people repent? Was it before they were in the water or after? Well, we already know it was before. As they began to hear what John was saying, and then they began to say, I need to do this. And so they get in line, and they would wait their turn until they came to John. And John would, 
baptize them in water symbolically as a sign that they've turned their life to God now. They're, they've repented their ways, and when they got out, some of them would say, now what do I need to do? And he said, don't sin no more. Stop lying. Stop stealing. Stop cheating. Okay, gotcha. And they went on. Do you guys realize that then discipleship, this whole idea of making disciples of all nations, did you notice in the text that it doesn't say getting people to say the sinner's prayer? It says to make disciples, to go and to make disciples of all ethnos. That's what it means, of all nations. And to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we had to look at the Greek text, and when we looked at it, the word in is really kind of, it's really not the proper word. It's the word into. And so the symbolism of water baptism, is, it's letting us know that we're being immersed into a relationship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's not just simply getting somebody up there and getting them wet and say, there you go, now off you go. Live a proper life from here on out. That's not what it's saying. That's not what it is. I've met some people who feel like, you know, pastor baptized my kids because they feel like the water baptism is going to save them and they're going to be kept now because they're baptized in water. That's not what that means at all. And because we're missing the meaning of it, we're just kind of falling short in some of these areas. So let's just look at that a little bit. If water baptism, being baptized, what that's the goal is that we are immersed, we're deep, we, we have this deepening, enriching relationship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That is the purpose of every believer. Each one of us. I love that. Being immersed in God. You know, how, 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 do you, how do you do that? Well, you can't take somebody into deeper water unless you've been in water yourself and you're in deep water yourself. And so it really starts with relationship. I was asking the team, I said, when did the disciples become Christians? When were they saved? Did you know that they had doubts right up to the very end? Did you know that they weren't even sure? Some of them weren't even sure. You might say, are you sure, Pastor? Absolutely. Go look Luke chapter 24. You'll find the two on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus kind of shows up in the middle of them, and they're talking about the Lord and what he, that he died, and he says, what are you guys talking about? He just kind of peeks in on their conversation. He, he's in a different form. They can't recognize him. And he says, well, weren't you, man, where you been? There was a guy, you know, from Nazareth named Jesus. He was a prophet, mighty in, in word and deed, and, and we thought maybe he was the one, but we weren't too sure, and he's dead now. When did they get saved? When did Peter, when did John get saved? Did you realize that it started with a relationship? Jesus said, come and be with me. And so the first thing, it wasn't with a class, it wasn't with a sinner's prayer, it was simply calling these men into a relationship with him. And he saw these two men and, and they said, where are you staying, Rabboni? And he said, come, follow me. And he began to come, you come and be with me. And he began to establish relationship with people and as they walked with him, they began to discover more and more who he was and who they were going to be as they were walking with him. Amen. You see, for some of us and for the church, we've kind of walked into this, this false narrative of this is how we're supposed to do it. And so we get people into a class and get them into this class and teach them this way. And we live out all of our days in classroom settings, failing to realize that how Jesus discipled and how Jesus brought life to people was said, you come and just be with me first. Just be with me. Come on. 
And he called me and said, let's go hang out. We're going to go fishing today. Is that going to be all right? Yeah. All right. So we'll see you all later. We're going to go fishing. And they hung up. And they hung out and they went fishing. And, and he said, oh, I, want, I need some other people. You come fish. Come on. And, 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 and you be a fisherman. Come on. And you hang out with me. You come on and hang out with me. And Jesus just began to gather people. And let's just hang out together. And let's, let's eat, yeah, let's eat chips today, okay? And we'll have pop and stuff. Let's hang out. And, and you come on, hang with me. And Jesus began to spend time with people. And they sat with them. And they talked. And they just hang out and say, come on, you'll be the oldest of all the disciples. <laughs> <laughs> and so they'd hang out together. And, and that's what they did. They just, he gave his life to them. And as they were around him, they saw him do things and heard him say things that, that just blew their mind. He talked to them in ways that just, they didn't get. It's like they saw him one day, they're in, they're, in, they're in a boat, so let's pretend we're in a boat one day. Here's our boat. You guys go sit right here. This is our boat. Okay. You can be in our boat. Be in our boat. Be in the boat. Be in the boat. And they're in a storm. Act like you're in a storm. Everybody go, oh, like this. And they're in a storm. Okay. And Jesus was hanging with them as he told them, we're going to go to the other side. Come on, st still be in the storm. Somebody needs to be throwing up over the side because it's really bad. And they were in a storm. There you go. <laughs> and Jesus was sleeping with them, right? And then they accused him. They said, Lord, don't you even care? We're dying. <laughs> You're supposed to say, don't you care, pastor? We're dying. We're going to drown. They accuse him of not caring. And then Jesus wakes up, stands up in the front of the boat. He looks at the waves. Peace. Be still. And everything stopped. And they began to huddle together and said, what kind of guy is this in our boat? What kind of man is this? And they began to learn more and more as they walk with him. That's what we're supposed to do, is that the world is going to learn more and more about who Jesus is when we go and we be with them. It's not so much calling them to go to church. I've heard a lot of people, and I'm, don't get me wrong, I, I want them to come. But I've heard so many people say, you need to go to church. You need to get your heart right, get your life right, go to church. When did that ever make any one of us better? Some of us have been coming a long time and you're still kind of, <laughs> you're like a saint with, with, a, with a crooked halo, hey? <laughs> and you've been coming a long time. It isn't so much going to a class. It's spending time with the Lord. And then we spend time with other people. And so you hang out with a guy like Dusty. and say, hey, what do you like to do, Dustin? Oh, I, I, like, I like killing gophers. I do too. <laughs> and you get your gun out and you go out there and you shoot gophers and talk about life. And you hang out. Or you say, well, where do you like to eat, Jeff? 
And we all know what he's going to say. La Fonda's. <laughs> and we say, let's get the big burrito today, Jeff. And let's hang out. You can get machaca beef, eh? <laughs> and you hang out. Are you understanding what we're saying today? Is that this is the reason why our community is still in darkness. Do you, do you know that there's been more and more pastors, I've, I've talked to different ones where people have been breaking in their houses and breaking in their church. And at first we might think, you know, I'm, I'm ticked off about that, but then I began to realize what it really was all about. Is that the lost are coming and they're so hungry and they're so desperate, they're breaking into our church because they need something. And when you see the the darkness pressing against your home and it's going nuts, it's a, it's a reminder, man, they desperately need us. It's a way of God trying to wake you and me up because we are not supposed to be salt in a salt shaker. We're supposed to be among people. We're supposed to be going to them and talking to them and being with them. Are you guys with me so far? This is so very important we understand that. And you know, anybody can do I was I was listening to... Um, my brother's talking about this morning, the other day. They sh- these guys showed up from on my front porch from Fort Worth, Texas. Out of the blue. You have to ask them their story. They'll tell you. Ask them after church. I was just amazed because they just kind of were asking, Lord, where do you need to go? And, and the grandkids are throwing darts, and it's hit in Montana and then hitting in Tuba City. And they didn't know anybody in Tuba City, and they just re- tired people wanting to love Jesus and go where God wants them to go. How many of you guys would, would pray, Jesus, show me where to go and throw a dart at a dartboard, and then would you go? <laughs> Some of you would like, it would probably hit, you'd probably hit someplace you don't want to go. Teeth, no, no, I'm pulling that back. Jesus, <laughs> throw it again. I know, you, Jesus, that was the devil in that one. Throw it again, and you keep throwing. You'd keep throwing until you hit Hawaii. Some of you would. <laughs> yeah, until, until where? <laughs> Yeah, just it's going to just land in the ocean. <laughs> it's like nowhere to go. How many people would do that? Holy smokes. I was so impressed by their love for the Lord yesterday. And I thought, wow, just to go to a place where you don't know anybody and just, and just start making friends and talking to people. Some of you are getting scared. You're thinking about it. And that's exactly what God wants you to do. That's exactly what he wants you to do. Do you know how fun it's going to be when we do this? Do you know how fun it's going to be? Because some of you, some of us have been so not fun. (laughs) It's going to be so fun to do it, to go out there and to go to some people and just to start a relationship with somebody that you don't even know and then begin to, and begin Begin to talk to them and lead them and just walk with them. And you don't have to try to get people to, to pray a sinner's prayer. Your goal is just simply to be with them because that's exactly what Jesus called us to do first, right? We don't, I don't save anybody. You don't save anybody. It's the Spirit of God working in the hearts of people that leads people to know God. That's what we need, amen? It's not me or not you. You know what? I was walking around. I had a really good conversation. I went to the uh, Friday. It was just a really cool day, and I went over to the flea market, and I was walking around, and I went to, I went to Elvina's booth and hang out with her, and I was talking to her and her family. Then I went down, and I got, a, I got myself a Piccadilly. Somebody say hallelujah. <laughs> I got a Piccadilly. You guys know what Piccadillys are, right? 
How many of you guys don't know what a Piccadilly is? Raise your hand. Okay, I'm going to tell you, a Piccadilly is just a, it's a snow cone with a, a shaved ice with Kool-Aid, that just Kool-Aid and some syrup, and they throw pickles in it, and they throw gummy bears in it or whatever, and I didn't have the pickles, and I didn't have the gummy, I just ate the basic, and I'm walking, I'm talking to these guys, and I went up to that little red booth, and it was amazing. So I walked up there, and the guy behind there is making a Piccadilly. Sean, make your way up here. And he looks at me, and he starts talking about Montana. And I was like, this is kind of weird. And they said, oh, have you been to Montana before? He said, oh, yeah, my son-in-law, uh, he's from Montana. I said, oh. He said, yeah, he's Chippewa Cree. He's from Rocky Boy. Now, Rocky Boy is my mother's reservation. So I asked him, I said, well, what's his last name? And he said, Belcourt. His first name's Donnie. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. Donnie's my second cousin. Donnie Belcourt was in my house all the time when we were growing up. We went to school together. And we are just freaking out. He's looking at me, and I was like, and I said, why did you say Montana? He said, because you just look like those Montana guys. You just got that look, man. I don't know what it is. I think it's more manly, eh? Because we could have hair on our face. Don't be jealous of me, eh? <laughs> but he just said, you've got to be from Montana. And we started talking. And we just had a great conversation, talked a little bit about what I did. He said, what do you, I said, I'm the pastor over here at this big church. Really? I said, yeah, we got to come out sometime. And he said, okay, maybe, we'll see. And I went around and I saw another guy and he was from, of all places, Window Rock. And he was, uh, it was right by this place where they're, say, where they're selling uh, Chilchen or whatever, is that how you say it? Chilchen? Chilchen. Okay, anyways, you guys, you know what I'm trying to talk about. It's a berry, little berries drink. And I'm, so I worked my way over, and he's sitting there, and he's selling all these shirts with all the clans on them. This guy's from Winter Rock. And so I walked over, and we started talking, just, just, just talking. You know how easy is it is to talk to people? Pretty easy. If you want to, it's pretty easy. We just start talking. And then I said, so what's your clan? And, uh, he told me his clans, and I said, you know, hey, my wife's is, you know, uh, part, she's part of she and this one and bitter water and everything. He was like, oh, okay, she's like my grandma, hey. <laughs> yeah, small world. And so then uh, he said, so wh wh where are you from? And I said, I'm from Montana, but I'm an Oneida Indian from New York. What are you doing here? I said, I pastor that church over there. And he said, oh, okay, so you're one of those Bible thumpers rolling around on the ground, stuff like that. And I said, I said, no, we don't thump the Bible. We don't roll around unless, you know, no, we don't roll on the ground. I mean, none of you see me rolling on the ground yet, have you? Did you hear, did, did I thump the Bible a little bit? I, th I think I thumped the Bible some, but I haven't rolled on the ground yet. And I said, no, no, that's not what we do. And, and he said, oh, he said, well, he said, I used to, I know all about that. I know all about that. And I said, okay. And he said, yeah, he said, I uh, used to go to church. But he said, now, he said, I, uh, I follow a different path, NAC. And so I said, hey, my wife used to be NAC. And I said, my wife, my, Sharon was NAC. My wife and my father-in-law, he was uh, roadman stuff, and my mother-in-law was traditional Navajo. She offered up the corn pollen of all the directions and everything. He just looked at me, and I said, you know, it was really cool, and, and I said, uh, 
how this happened. I said, I'm, actually, I met my wife at Haskell. I started just telling him my story. He's sitting there. He didn't move. He was like listening to me all the way. People are coming. He's like, hold on. They pushed him. And he just listened to me as I told him how me and Sharon met, how we got, we, we, we gave our hearts to the Lord. We we're in Durango. And, and then how we ended up being in ministry. And the whole time I told him, you know, how Sharon gave her. And, it, and we said, well, what does Sharon's dad say about her becoming, you know, leaving NAC? I said, well, you know, dad, dad, you know, dad had a little bit of a rough time at first. But here's how Sharon said it. She said, Dad, all this time you did the ceremonies, yes, it's helped you stop drinking. But Dad, it was hard to grow up in this home. It was always mean. It was never joy or love. And she said, Dad, I found love in the Lord. And I found a peace in Jesus that I never found in a home. Dad said, are you, so you saying that I'm Satan? And, and I told him that. And he said, Sharon said, oh, Dad, I just, I'm on a different path. I'm on God's path now. He said, what, what did your dad do then? I said, well, my dad, would he, be, he was mad for a little while. And he started watching us. And he started coming to church. And then one day my father-in-law went to the front in Shiprock and gave his heart to Jesus. My dad told me how he felt that day. He said the preacher kept preaching. And the whole sermon he was making a matter, matter. He said, that guy, he's talking about me. I know he's talking about me. How many of you guys ever had the Holy Spirit do that to you? He just read your stuff, and you're just like, okay, what's this all about? This is too weird. He knows me. He's talking about me. That's, that's the Holy Spirit. And, and I wanted to make sure that I was more in tune with God. That's why I got off Facebook. I didn't want to see what you were doing. I, was just, I didn't want to see what you are doing no more. So, and so I was like, I just need to get off social media. I'm completely off social media. And I actually feel pretty good about it because I don't hear anybody bashing my president. Hey. And so and so I feel good. So my father heard him talking, you know, God, and this guy's getting madder and madder. And then my dad decided he sat there in the back. You would have had to meet my father before he was whittled down by, by sickness. He was a big guy, big barrel, big guy. Sharon's dad, curly hair. He thought he was uh, God's gift to women. He was always flirting with women everywhere. <laughs> he had this really, really nice smile, Dad did, and he would always say, say goofy things, you know. And, and, um, but he's standing in the back, all mad. And he told me, he said, son, I wanted to punch that preacher. And I kept telling him, I'm waiting for him to get done. I'm going to go up there and knock him out. And so when he got done, he gave the altar call. And dad told me what happened. He said, I don't know. He said, I was standing there and I tried to move, but I couldn't move. And he said, then I closed my eyes. And next thing you know, I'm standing in the front of that guy with my hands up in the air. He said, the preacher put his hand on me and prayed for me. And I was on my knees. And I was praying. I gave my heart to the Lord. My father-in-law took all of his medicine bundle, took it all, his feathers, his everything, and threw it in the fire. 
and burned it up and said, I'm going to follow Jesus now. I'm going to follow the Lord. That guy listened to me tell that story the whole time through. Never got mad, never did nothing. Listened as I told him. And I said, you need to come out sometime. You should come out. He said, yeah, maybe. He lived in Window Rock. But man, that's how you start. You just talk to somebody. You can talk to somebody when you're at the hospital and you're waiting for your medication because it takes a long time for your name to come up. So you go over there and you just start talking to them. You can do it anywhere you are when you're in, when you're in, in waiting at McDonald's and somebody's in front of you. And they get the wrong order and they're upset because they ordered a double quarter pounder with cheese and bacon and they didn't get their order right. And you can just whisper, say, hey, I know what that's all about, but God can get your order right. And tell him he can help you. And just start putting little things out there and begin to develop relationship with people. We need to stop being afraid of people who are in the darkness because you are the light and they need what you have. Amen? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with that. I have all the values I wanted to share with you, but I'm, gonna, I'm just going to close it right there. We'll talk about that later. But I want to ask you if you bow your heads with me this morning. We talked about ready, get set, go. Some of us have always maybe thought that I'm not qualified or I don't have much to offer or God can't use me because your past has been pretty, pretty checkered. But he's called you to be with him first, just to get to know him. But he's also called you to tell somebody else about him too. And you don't have to be me or any person that knows it all to do that. He's called us to leave the salt, the salt shaker and to lose ourselves in the darkness. Because it's only in that that the darkness is pushed back. He's called us to be a city on a hill and we're a light. And rhetorically speaking, he said, nobody lights a lamp and puts it under a bushel. Instead, they put it on a place where it can be seen through the whole house. Therefore, let your light so shine that people might see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. God just wants us to follow him with all of our heart to the point that our life is different than the lives of those who are in darkness. And they will see the difference. They'll see it even if you make a mistake when you get up, even when you sin, and you get up and say, I was wrong. And you begin to keep moving forward. Now I'm going to ask you, how many of you would say, Pastor, you know what? I, I know it's got to be more than just having church all the time. I know that. I feel it. And I sense the darkness in our community. And I know that God wants to do greater things. And I just want to do my part. I'm going to begin 
to reach out to people. I'm going to develop some relationships with some people that don't know Christ this year. I'm not going to be afraid of their life because what I have is able to keep me. And I know God is strong and he's called me to do some things. I'm, I'm tired of sitting in the stands, Pastor. I'm ready to be in the game and I want to do something for Christ. I want, to make my, I want my life to count for, for eternity. If that is you, stand to your feet right where you're sitting. Just stand to your feet. You're saying, God, I'm in this wholeheartedly. No halfway, no sitting on the sideline. I've been on the sideline too long, Lord. I don't want life to pass me by, and I don't want to live my life for something that just misses what your destiny is for me. All those standing, I'd like you to lift your hands everywhere. And I want us to pray. Loving Father, you see each person who's standing. And I realize others who are sitting there may be unsure yet or even fearful. But God, we're not going to stand by anymore and watch our community continue to spin and to go into darkness. We don't want to see our world become more and more polluted and broken and destroyed. Father, we are tired of the suicides. We're tired of the addictions. We're tired of seeing the evidence of sin everywhere. And we want to see the evidence of your power now. We want, we want to see families that have been put back together again, Father. We want to see people whose lives have been drastically changed because they're walking with you. And Father God, I pray that you're going to use us as living evidence of what that can do, of what that's, what that's able to do, what you're able to do. And so, Father God, receive us today, God. As we stand today, we stand surrendered, God. It's a sign of our surrender to you today. And we are embracing, Father God, that there is a destiny and you've called us to go. And so, Father, today, with courage in our hearts, we say, yes, God, we're going to begin to do that. In every single way, every simple way, we're going to do that. We're going going to begin to go in our hearts. We're going to share the good news with people all around. We're not going to, be, to hold it to ourselves anymore, but we're going to let this world know that Jesus, you are the only answer. You are the only answer to them. Your life's only answer. I want us all to just step, pray this prayer together. Would you all stand with me? Let's pray it as we close. Let's pray together this morning. I want you to just pray it loud and strong. Dear God, I thank you for this day. I thank you that you have given us a purpose. And Lord God, I desire to get in the game. I want to see other people come to know you. I want them to know that you can heal them, that you can give them hope, that there's no situation that is too hard for you. I want them to know that there's a real life that's worth living. I want them to know there's a joy that goes beyond circumstance. I want them to know that there's power in your name.
over every fear, every darkness, every worry. I want them to know that there's a way out of every prison, that, Lord, we can be free in your name. And so, Lord God, today, anoint me again. Touch my life and use me. Give me your words and give me courage. I go now in answer to your call. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you guys. Shake somebody's hand. Give them a hug. Give them a high five. Don't forget, guys, we're going to start cooking at 4. So if you're interested in coming to the Super Bowl kickoff, we're at 4 o'clock. And we're going to be in here. We got a bunch of, we, we need some guys if you want to come and help us. If somebody has an extra um, barbecue and you'd like to come and bring it and help us cook, we'll do that too. Yes, ma'am. We're going to be cooking and preparing.